Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Bring spring color inside this season with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, let's get together, yeah, 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 think of all that we could share. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And today we wanted to talk about working together, really, collaborating, you know, sharing, Holding, I'm a, holding hands? Holding I'm, hands. I'm against it. Lauren, <laughs> Lauren's not with us on this one, Joe. It's just me and you against Lauren. Well, we can hold hands, and we, she can't. We can. That's true. She can only hold her own. Uh, all right. So, and I, By the way, Lauren can hold her own. Anyway, so we're going to talk <laughs> about uh, really collaboration and the sense of how collaboration is contributing to innovation and invention. And this is something that's interesting to me because, for one thing, we tend to have this kind of concept in our minds about inventions are the product of a, a, a sole inventor, a man or woman who is working uh, feverishly in a, in a laboratory and uh, suddenly shouts out Eureka and, and there an invention is, in, is created out of thin air. 
But that's not really how it tends to happen. Yeah. Who's the person who invented the light bulb? Well, you know, the common answer is Thomas Edison. Uh That Thomas Edison invented the incandescent light bulb, the filament light bulb. And that's not actually accurate. First of all, there were other people who were working on incandescent light bulbs before Edison was. Secondly, Edison had at his disposal... A multitude of engineers who were working on various proje- projects, including the light bulb. Uh, he actually took something that had already existed and made improvements upon it so that it became something viable, something that the average person could actually use as opposed to something that proved the principle was was sound but wasn't actually practical. Well, surely Alexander Graham Bell is solely responsible for inventing the telephone, right? No, not exactly. In fact, uh, you could also argue that not not only was Alexander Graham Bell working on something that other people were also working on, some with him and some independently, but or before him, or before him, he was he was building on technologies that had already existed. This is the same problem you have if you say, well, who invented the television or who invented the radio? Because as it turns out, these are actually very complicated stories. You could easily say, oh, Marconi invented the radio. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant Tesla. Tesla invented the radio. Sorry, Internet. But no, neither is actually true. It turns out that these are inventions that came to us because of numerous engineers and scientists working on basic scientific uh, principles that led to the development of these technologies. Yeah, I think it's almost a function of the way we uh, like to hear stories. Sure. Uh, that that gives us this way of approaching the history of invention. Um, it's the fact that we like single characters and we to like be a, responsible for action. And, exactly. and, and a, good, like a good anti-hero, furthermore. I mean, you know, yeah. it's much more interesting if, if Han Solo invented the telephone than if, yeah. you know, I don't know. The, mm-hmm. All of the Empire worked together on it. To be fair, Han called first. So, uh, (laughs) but but also, not only that, but that we'd like to have stories that have a beginning, middle, and end, right? We don't don't like stories that have this bleed over where you don't really have a point that you can say, this is exactly where it started and here is where it ended. It's just not the way that history actually works, but it's the way our minds tend to try and file information. Yeah, I think it's actually pretty rare, if not completely impossible, um, to look at history and find an example of somebody who really invented something in a vacuum. Yeah. That, that they were just, this person is solely responsible. Ironically, the vacuum and, is a great example of that. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. I couldn't take, I had to, I had to take Who invented the vacuum cleaner? I honestly do not know. I just had to jump in on that one. Okay. <laughs> Uh, um, I can tell I, you, Richard I mean, James, Herbert Hoover, Richard, Richard, <laughs> yes, exactly. Why do you think it's called run by a man called Hoover? Yeah. Uh, uh, I think uh, Richard James uh, was the sole inventor of the slinky. So if that makes you feel any better, although because to be fair, no springs existed before the slinky. Well, yeah. it's completely he, exactly. new. No, he didn't. But he invented yeah. what he, what became the slinky. You know, he took he took something that was being used in the navy and made a toy out of it. Oh, so. certainly. I mean, there's there's usually some kind of inception of concept that that people. That that an inventor or a small team of of inventors will kind of clarify and and put out there and go like this new thing 
totes works, guys. The point we're trying to make is that most of the inventions that we are relying upon today are, in fact, the result of collaborative efforts between many people. Even if it's, uh, it could be a formal collaboration where people are actively working together in order to achieve something specific, or it could be informal in the sense that someone picks up where another person left off and continues work that way. But, uh, really, collaboration is kind of the name of the game, or it's it's certainly becoming that way, right? Uh, and especially given that, say, things like the internet are letting us collaborate more deeply and across further spaces, uh, more more distant spaces than sure. than previously, it's it's becoming a much more rich field. Now, Lauren, I understand that you actually looked into some interesting statistics when it comes to patents that kind of kind of illustrates this idea, right? Yeah, according to a patent law blog, since the 1970s, the average number of inventors that's been listed on patents has crept up from um, from about 1.6 in, in 1970 to about 2.5 in the year 2000. Um, and overall, the, the number of one inventor patents has declined from, again, in 1970, about 60 to 70 percent down to about 30 percent, while the number of three plus inventor patents has risen from 10 to 20 percent up to about 40 percent. Wow. So... I mean, that's only in the U.S., and it's a relatively small sliver of time, but I still think that it's it's, it's an it, interesting trend. It, it does illustrate what we're saying here. The number of patents has also been going up also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the, the sheer number is yeah. definitely increased year over year. Uh, and we're getting to a point now where entire industries are becoming multidisciplinary, meaning that there are industries that depend upon contributions from people who specialize in very different fields. Now, this is also a fairly recent development if you look at all of human history, right? I mean, if you go back just a few, if you go back a few centuries, you can get to a point where it's feasible for a human being to reach a point where they have learned more or less the cutting edge of of, of the sum learning of human knowledge yeah. in a specific area or even across a couple of areas if you go back far enough like let's say we go to the ancient greeks who were pretty smart guys right you get back some to some of them well, you know <laughs> <laughs> right. Thanks, Joe. Uh, yes, in fact, some of the ancient Greeks were pretty smart guys. Uh, but you could get to uh, – you, you point to someone like uh, Socrates or Plato or Aristotle, someone – especially like Aristotle. Aristotle was the person who ends up uh, inspiring uh, uh, things like logic and, and biology as actual areas of study. At that time, you could have someone who not only is a specialist in a particular field but actually has a, a – a, a, a body of knowledge that spans all fields of human knowledge at that time. They're basically an expert on almost everything their culture knows. Right. And then as the cultures get more complex, as our body of knowledge grows and uh, those disciplines become deeper and more rich, it becomes increasingly difficult to be the master of multiple disciplines. And today we have disciplines that are so incredibly vast and deep that even to be a master of a single discipline is it covers is, a lot of different specializations within yeah, that, right? Yeah, you might not you might not find someone. You I, I doubt you could point to anyone anyone in in the world who would be 
the uh, the leading expert on medicine. That's just too big a field. You're, you're talking yeah. about, well, a, you know. I mean, you could have a leading expert in terms of just relative placement. Maybe this person knows more than anybody else. I don't know how you'd know who that person right. is. Right, but, but you, they but you still couldn't say. Or, or someone right. who's a really good spokesperson and or a really good researcher. Right, at, but at, I'm saying you know, like. Looking at the top level of. If, right. You, right. if you got five specialists, right, mm-hmm. you got someone who was. Uh, Each took like an a oncologist, decade. right? You know, you get you get oncology, you get you know pediatrics, you get all of the different fields of medicine, the major fields of medicine together, and you get the leading expert in each of those. And then you take the person that you think is the leading expert in medicine overall. I guarantee you, those those people who are specialists are going to have a deeper, more nuanced uh, uh, grasp of those fields than the you know jack of all trades approach. Right. Right. So you're not going to get someone who is the leading specialist or the leading uh, expert in a huge discipline who is going to have that same level of knowledge as someone who is specializing. So multidiscipline approach is really necessary. Even within a uh, a single discipline, you have these little sub-disciplines. Uh, so if you have something as broad as, as medicine, obviously, and you want to tackle something like cancer, you actually are probably going to be working with a couple of different specialists, not just an oncologist, but others as well, who are uh, leading, lead, uh, giving their expertise to research and development of treatments. Uh, certainly. And beyond that, you need to start considering the other societal Impact factors, which is a little bit of an industry pun, I apologize for, um, that, that are going to affect your research, like the, the laws of getting a drug out to the public, for example. Sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's lots of things to practically consider beyond just the, the research side. Yeah. And one thing that's, uh, that's a big deal in medicine today is you can't just know about the body. When you become a doctor these days, you're, you can't just know, well, here's anatomy, here's where this organ should be, here are the symptoms of this disease, because lots of the treatments we have involve advanced knowledge of other fields. Say, you might need to know a little bit about physics in order to give, say, a radiation treatment to a cancer patient and, and we're, or things about chemistry. Sure. You know? Also, lots of drug therapies, you, you really have to consider what comorbidities they're going to cover, you know, what other organs, what other bodily systems, what other functions they're going to affect. Yeah. And as we get to a, a world where we have more and more personalized medicine, uh, obviously, then you're talking about specialists who can actually understand a particular patient's needs, not just across an entire, you know, we, we have doctors who specialize in specific diseases now, right? We've got people who are specifically devoting their all of their work to studying, understanding, and fighting specific diseases. We're going to get to a point where we have doctors who are very much uh, focused on specific patients to the point where the treatments given to a patient are of uh, uh, tailored to that specific person, their biochemistry based on their genetic code. Exactly, you're, you're talking about you know having a level of specialization that is uh, you know it's it, it's unprecedented really. And medicine is just one example. Obviously, there are other fields that require this sort of multi multiple discipline approach. Like uh, uh, I, I mentioned, nanotechnology. That's a big one. So nanotechnology, you have computer scientists, you have engineers, you have biologists, you have physicists, you have chemists. You have lots of different disciplines that are interested in trying to 
develop this field of nanotechnology for multiple applications, not just for, you know, the medical approach. Obviously, that would be a big one. You know, again, fighting cancer. We've talked about using nanotechnology to do that, using some sort of nano delivery system to deliver chemotherapy drugs to specific cells so that you could minimize any sort of side effects that the patient would suffer. Mm-hmm. But in order to do that, you might wind up having a, a, a human biologist working together with a material scientist working together with uh, a laser specialist working together with and so on and so forth. Exactly. I mean, a whole lot of different fields would go into that kind of research. Yeah. If you were to depend upon one discipline to just take over that, then the the uh, progress of that field would crawl. But by leveraging the expertise of multiple disciplines and sharing that research across the disciplines, not only do you progress the industry of nanotechnology forward, but you learn so much along the way. You know, we've always said on this show, even when you fail, you still learn. Well, in this case, you're talking about multiple disciplines researching stuff to find out how to make it possible and learning a lot along the way that can benefit uh, the industry and other industries in ways that we did not foresee when we embarked upon that research. Absolutely. Um, I, I know that we just kind of tried to conversationally transition away from the field of medicine, but in the field of medicine, it's there's been really interesting developments. Uh, like when, um, when AIDS in the 1980s became a very serious, very huge concern. I mean, we didn't we didn't know anything about it. We it wasn't even until 1984 that we discovered the uh, human human immunodeficiency virus, mm-hmm. and by 1987. AZT had been approved for use by the FDA. This was three years. This was an incredible leap in uh, in drug development and research. Before then, it would have been pretty impossible to to have seen a clinical trial of, of a new drug set up against a placebo in a in in a, in a direct ratio, or right. um, or of a new drug set up against any any previous uh, treatment therapy. It's you know. People came together because they realized that this was bigger than the specific monetary advancement sure. of any given company. And um, and that example has been translated out. I mean, big pharma companies are realizing that by trying to separate out all of their research and development teams, they, they are they're wasting money and time and that overall people can really benefit they can benefit from coming together like that there's a, a a group of like the 10 biggest pharma companies basically in the world right now are are going in on a not-for-profit organization called transcelerate biopharma mm-hmm. which is is trying to standardize the field of clinical research and that could lead to amazing advancements sure and we we've also talked before about the uh uh, artificial intelligence movement, mm. this idea of developing artificially intelligent uh, constructs, whether robots or computers or you know, combination, whatever. Uh, that actual that field also involves multiple disciplines. You would think computer science, obviously, would be one, but neuroscience is certainly one that has looked into artificial intelligence, and I think mm. it's really important too because I think there are some futurists out there who have this concept that artificial intelligence in the in the sense of having a a, a machine that is and I I don't know how you would specifically define this but as intelligent as a person so that they think like a person I think is the way that they usually try and frame this that a computer uh, would think in the same way that you and I would think 
that uh, that will be we're right right on the cusp of it, you know, ten to twenty years away, because <laughs> because of the rate of the of development as far as computer power goes. But neurologists have often pointed out that it's not just a question of computer power. That making a machine that is powerful enough to mimic what a human can do is not necessarily the real barrier there. It requires a deeper understanding of how our brains work before we can make a machine that can mimic how our brains work. And interestingly enough, by trying to make that machine, I think we might learn things about how our brain works that we didn't know before. Right. Yeah. We've already seen uh, scientists set up and work with neuroscientists to uh, computer scientists and neuroscientists working together to build virtual models of neurons and neural pathways. So, uh, you know, essentially a a model of like on a very tiny scale of a human brain to see how things like memories form and how uh, these pathways activate during with certain stimuli, Uh, keeping in mind that the computer virtual models are absolutely tiny compared to the average human brain and the time scale is much longer so you have to really scale things in a in a wacky way to see how it works but it shows progress toward that and so again it's a multidiscipline kind of field where if we really want to push the industry forward if we want to push that whole area of study forward it's going to require more than just computer scientists sitting down and writing some new code so uh in in the video episode for this week, a brand new special episode where I I did not appear in my nebulous white environment <laughs> where I can control everything with just a wave of my hand or a certain thought. It was actually kind of a we we pulled you out of what the thought can, would that be? Hey, you've seen the episodes, Joe. I mean, if I am in that environment, I can make stuff happen. Did you not see? I made myself fold up like origami. Do not test me on this. But for this particular episode, I shot it here in the office, which was you know strange and unusual for me. But uh, it also is one of the episodes of our second season of Forward Thinking, which kind of interrupts our first season of Forward Thinking. That's okay because we're timey wimey. Yeah, like we're, that. we're good. Yeah, yeah, we're a little wibbly wobbly. We're actually broadcasting from the future as we speak. But anyway, the in that I had a discussion with Chuck Goulash, a uh, senior executive engineer with Toyota's uh, Collaborative Safety Research Center, and Toyota is a partner of Forward Thinking, so they they were able to put us in touch with them. The interesting thing I found about the CSRC is that although Toyota was the company that that put that into motion, the actual research is open to everyone. So it's not like they are having this collaborative effort among various institutions and then Toyota is hoarding all the information and only only the that company will benefit. Anyone can benefit from that information, including all the collaborators. So you have medical facilities learning more about the human body and trauma and and how to treat it and how to prevent it. You have uh, engineers learning how to design vehicles in a better way that can be shared across an entire industry. You have governments learning what sort of industry standards should be put in place for the next generation of vehicles that will apply, again, across the board to all vehicles. Um that, I think, is the really exciting thing about collaboration, this idea that it's not in an effort to get ahead of someone else. It's in an effort to improve things across an entire swath 
uh, a whole it's a, industry, a yeah, whole uh, industry, segment of human audience, life. customers, yeah. whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's it's this idea that through this work we can improve conditions. That's what I find really uh, exciting about it. So uh, honestly, at that at that stage, you know, it doesn't matter to me who it was that put it into motion if it means that everyone benefits. Would would perhaps at some point someone who helped put it into motion say, I deserve more credit or more money than these other people? Uh, I don't see how that would happen because you're talking about you research. You can't get the information back. Yeah, yeah. This is this is just research that people are going to use to make improvements. So it's not I mean, even so know, much like n- not even in the, in that industry specifically. But I, you know, I just feel like that's a potential barrier to to collaboration. This uh, well, concept of of ownership of 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 a concept. There there are some barriers to collaboration. I mean there's there's one where you're wondering who's in charge, right? Who ultimately is in charge? But if you're talking about research where you have a specific goal in mind, but knowing that the research is going to uncover information that's going to benefit in ways that you can't even necessarily foresee when you get into it means that even with just that one goal, even if that one specific goal benefits a specific party more than another, uh, ultimately everyone benefits. So that ends up being kind of a non-factor in the long run. But the other obstacle that you brought up earlier, Lauren, when we were talking about this episode uh, beforehand, was the idea of getting so many people involved in something. How do you keep that? Uh, how do you keep that? Uh, under a control so that you're actually making progress and you're not having, you know, people kind of get in each other away. Too many biomedical researchers in the biomedical and, kitchen and the labo- laboratory yes that's yes. that thing that's, um, that's what that phrase is <laughs> yeah and i think i think in that case what we really need is you need to have for whatever research facility that you, you know, that you've built uh that you have a specific focus that you have a specific goal in mind that everyone is working toward and again knowing that you're going to generate information outside of that that will be a benefit in some way or another is fine but to kind of have that 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 end goal in sight, I think, helps a lot. And and all obviously, in all of these collaborative relationships that we're talking about, you usually have some sort of team leader that is in charge, which that also helps when you actually do have a hierarchy there. And it's not just a free-for-all of, you know, let's throw a bunch of brilliant people into a room together and surely something amazing is going to come out of it. Uh, that amazing thing might end up being the scientific version of the Thunderdome, which I don't argue would be amazing, but not necessarily productive. <laughs> 18 scientists <laughs> enter, one scientist leaves. Aside from entertainment purposes, I bet some I bet some of those research scientists could build some really interesting weapons. Oh yeah, no, I mean just the robot wars alone would be exciting. But uh no, to to <laughs> seriously though, that is one of those things that's interesting is that I don't know how many well, well, all of us here obviously have worked collaboratively. We're doing it right now. We're collaborating on a podcast. Yes. But, but we don't have any relevant knowledge or anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not we're not actually contributing to society in any meaningful way, so the pressure is off. But no, seriously though, We've all had that experience of learning to give and take and collaborate with each other in order to have uh, our end goal being producing an entertaining and informative podcast. Well, one thing I have learned about collaborating with different people is that collaboration itself involves a kind of expertise, like that it's a skill that can be developed. Sure. And I I almost wonder if uh, between different scientific disciplines, if like we were talking about earlier – in the future, you see a continuing trend of just more and more specialization. The more we learn about these disciplines, the 
the narrower each expert's focus gets if collaborative projects will need to be controlled by people who sort of specialize in scientific collaboration. Collaboration is is kind of a field of study. Certainly, um, multidisciplinary fields of study are, I mean, there are scientific journals for that thing. Mm-hmm. And um, and there is research being done into into case studies of collaborative efforts to create, create stuff. See, and um, so, you know, it, I've seen it mentioned colloquially that that people have an interest in being a collaboration scientist. Yeah, wow, I, that's really cool. I think what we're going to see is that a lot of these projects are going to get their own version of Jen Barber, who, of course, is the relationships manager in the documentary series The IT Crowd. <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, never seen it. Oh, Joe, oh, you've got to see like it. it. You would okay. love it. Yeah. yeah. So, But anyway, she's a relationship manager because she has <laughs> absolutely no knowledge of IT whatsoever. But she does know how to handle people, so that's how she joins the IT team. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, that. while that's a comedic example, that's sort of what we're talking about here. Someone who has this ability to kind of be like the, the hub, you know, the, the connector for all these different pieces that can make sure that everyone's on task and working toward a similar goal. But so, Lauren, you're sort of saying, like, this isn't even necessarily like a maybe in the future thing. You're saying, like, right now... We're, this is already reality. The, the the groundwork of it is does in fact exist, and I think that it's going to become an actual facts thing very shortly. I mean, within the next like three years, yeah, keep, not not even within ten to twenty. Keep in mind, uh, just like Rock. maybe maybe five years ago, we didn't even have such a thing as like there was no no such title as social media manager, and oh, now there is. True. Yeah, yeah. Nobody had social media ninjas. No. no. <laughs> And now we do. I, I do want to say that I think that a, one of those barriers to collaboration at the moment is the the paywall that a lot of academic research is being trapped behind. Yeah. And have, you, have you seen the, the the surveys that have said that scientists have often uh, not read nearly as much research as they wanted to because there was a paywall in front of the the journal that they were trying to access. And and yeah. you know and and I respect the the these academic institutions for wanting to make money off of this amazing research that they're publishing. I mean you know they the researchers want to be paid for their publications and and that's groovy too. Not only that, but it does cost money to actually distribute this stuff. It does absolutely. Right. I mean you know speaking as someone who has edited medical papers before it's you know you you really need someone outside of and the the academic institution to proofread something and go like you did this math wrong your idea is solid but this math is that just went somewhere else that was nowhere and you know and that kind of thing is is critical to the industry and and i liked getting paid as a proofreader in that case so you know i I believe in money for everybody but yeah how exactly to monetize that kind of thing in the future is I don't know how it's going to work. Right. Because, I mean, you know, opening it up for like the advertising model is also tricky, right? Because then you have the, oh, the, the, the perception of bias, even if there is no bias there. If you have advertisers showing up against a paper on, say, a, a drug study and it's a drug company's ads that are showing up on that page. Which would be the logi- logical advertiser for that paper. So. Right. You would argue yeah. that but, that's a conflict of interest. Absolutely. But, so, yeah, or it's, if it's you a find thing. like unexpected side effects in one drug and then a competitor's drug is advertised. <laughs> yeah, that's another example. So, yeah, it's tricky. Um, I mean, obviously, the paywall situation where scientists are not reading papers that they really need to read because it's behind a paywall, that is something that we need <laughs> to figure crazy. out. Yeah. 
But but that kind oh, of no, thing the is, study was really terrifying. Yeah, actually, they're, they're over in the European Union. Union they've got an um, innovative medicines initiative that started in 2008. Um, there's recommendations for the U.S. to start up a counterpart to this, and and uh, I mean it's it's groups of both governmental and private and public research going into stuff like combating bacterial resistance and uh, uh, curing diabetes and autism therapy and chronic pain research. You know, a big. Huge multi multidisciplinary stuff, that, right? And I think that that, you know, that's that's great. Yeah, Yay. yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I certainly <laughs> I hope thought you were against collaboration. <laughs> when it benefits her, she's all for it. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm I'm against whatever Jonathan says. That's fair. Yeah, it, pretty much every anyone who knows me long enough that that does tend to happen. Uh, part of this is also an argument that could be made that we need to we need we as in the United States in this case need to invest more in science in general. And in fact, we've seen the opposite happening year over year. Uh, with budgets and issues like that, but that's a tough sell, right? It's tough for it's tough to sell it to Congress, and it's tough for Congress to sell it to constituents. So it's one of those things where, even though I'm sure you know the the three of us and even Noel uh, all agree that <laughs> Noel just gave me a dirty look, but I, I'm sure we would all agree that obviously, again, scientific endeavors have the potential to benefit us in ways that we cannot even anticipate. Uh, I'm sure that many of our listeners agree with that as well, but getting a large yeah, population you know, to hold, say holding, like, this holding is worth up, paying for. Holding up an apple and an empty hand and saying, and you know, the empty hand represents future apples, you right. know, which is better. It's hard yeah, to, it's, yeah. it's the marshmallow experiment, but on a grand global cancer scale. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to eat mm. this marshmallow right now, in fact, because delayed gratification is something I don't believe in. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to wrap this up, guys. If you have anything you want to weigh in on as far as collaboration goes, maybe you want to get with some of your friends and write an email together. That would be fitting. Uh, why, don't you, why don't you go over to fwthinking.com. That's our website where you're going to find all the podcasts, the blogs, the articles. You're going to find the videos. We have all of our content right there. You can get in touch with us through that. We have our social media. Look for FW Thinking on Facebook and on Twitter and uh, even on Google+. Plus. We're all, all over the place. Get in touch with us. Let us know what you think. Be part of the conversation. We want to hear from you. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, At these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. 
Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, I'm Gabby Reese. Join me and my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, on our journey with Laird Superfood. From our kitchen to yours, we've crafted delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and so much more using high-quality functional ingredients. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 for 20% off your first order.